Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, March 8th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fires... <laughs> so, 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 James, it's, um... Oh, here, hold on. Uh, Alexa, what's the temperature right now? Currently, in Kissimmee, it's 60 degrees Fahrenheit. With Thank you, Alexa. Skies. Alexa, stop. So it's it's in the 60s here, James. What's it like there? I hate you. It's in the 60s here, too, but I'm inside. <laughs> that's that's no bueno there. Uh, so, yeah, so things are a little rocky up there weather-wise. It, like, got nice and springy for a while, and then all of a sudden you get this nor'easter again. And things are all messed up. Broadway apparently went on without a hitch last night. All the shows were running. Uh, I know various parts of the Northeast were hit with different types of things. Some wind, some snow, some rain, um, some earth, some wind, some fire. Um, but uh, hopefully everybody was able to stay safe and, and warm. I know, James, you're freezing right now, but hopefully everybody was OK uh, after this latest round of storms. I saw that there was a handful of people who took advantage of this and went out to see Carousel and Frozen and uh, got mm-hmm. some uh, got some cancellation tickets. Uh, so I think it worked out for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. All right. First up in the news, 54 Below's Broadway Baby Mamas to benefit Ruthie Ann Miles. Yeah, James, obviously you weren't here with us yesterday when we discussed this horrendously awful story um, with Ruthie Ann Miles. There's been no update on her status or that of Laura, uh, Laura Lou, who was the other mother who was involved in that terrible accident on Monday night. But yesterday we did learn that the upcoming 54 Below concert, Broadway Baby Mamas, which is going to take place on March 15th, 2018, has changed who some of the proceeds are going to go to. It was originally designed as a benefit for Planned Parenthood. And in light of this tragedy, portions of the proceeds will now go to Ruthie Ann Miles and her family. This concert is produced in part by Lauren Warsham and the great Celia Keenan-Bolger is going to be the host. There's going to be a number of fantastic Broadway performers participating, including Celia, Stephanie J. Block, Nikki Renee Daniels, Warsham, and more. There's just a ton. Pearl Sun, Megan McGinnis, Ashley Brown, Jen Gambatisse. Uh, the list goes on and on. It's, uh, it's going to be a really great concert, and it's nice that as a lot of people were saying on Twitter, the the Broadway baby mamas uh, stick together, and it is a uh, a pr- very proud community that you know plays or that does double duty both in terms of performing and uh, raising a child at home. So, um, if I'm almost positive that this was already sold out, but if it wasn't and you are able to get tickets, I think they're actually doing two performances next week, um, a week from tonight. So um, really nice to see the community continue to band together in support of both the, uh, both families involved in this terrible tragedy. All right. uh, Next up, we have the show and casting news. Do we ever, now this one's an interesting one, James. Yesterday, New York Magazine's Vulture had an interview with Tony winner Nathan Lane. Yeah. The article obviously centered on his current Broadway show, Angels in America. But in the course of the conversation, he mentioned that he was in the early steps of setting up his next role. Lane said that fellow Tony winner Joe Mantello was in the process of putting together a production of Arthur Miller's classic Death of a Salesman, in which Lane would play Willie Loman opposite a third Tony winner in the equation, Lori Metcalf, currently on Broadway in Three Tall Women. There's no timetable for this eventual production, 
But my uh, colleague, Broadway World's cabaret editor, Ashley Steves, said on Twitter that all the way back in 2005, Mantello mentioned that he would like to direct Lane in this role. The conversation came during a Q&A around the pair's second of three Broadway collaborations. After 1995's Love, Valor, Compassion, Mantello helmed a revival of The Odd Couple, starring Lane and his producer's co-star, Matthew Broderick. Lane and Mantello then worked together again in 2008 on David Mamet's November. So, James, even in dramas, Nathan Lane tends to play kind of theatrically large characters like he is in Angels in America. Um, Willie Loman is not that. Um, it is a very different uh, role. So I, I think as Lane has said over the years, he wants to transition away from musical theater. This would as far as I can tell, be something that's quite different than anything at least I've seen him in. Um, like I said, he's done dramas, currently doing one right now, but he's still kind of a big, showy, flashy character um, in Roy Cohn. Willie Loman would be not that. So I'm interested to see what happens with this. Why would you think Willie Loman would not be that? Well, I mean, <laughs> yes, with Nathan Lane, anything can be. I mean, it's a big part, but I mean, it's such an introspective yeah. Um, character study that you could play it that way. Sure. But it, I mean, it's not a, as much about the, the, the broadness of that character and Joe Mantello directing something like this would be amazing. And Laurie Metcalf. So I would, I would love it if these, you know, the pair of these two performers could just kind of do every show together in rep. That would be cool. I think so too. I, I, I don't mean to say that it would be bad if Nathan Lane did that. I just, I, I'm just, meaning to say that who knows what direction Nathan would go with Willie Loman. And I'm, I'm first online to see that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So James, moving on in our show and casting news, I've uh, been Ms. saying Cleo? this casting. Yes. Uh, call my one 900 number. I've been saying that this casting was coming for months and not even the announcement of a different actress in the role could deter me from my belief that Helena York will be playing Miss Flemshin in City Center's Encore's production of Grand Hotel. It was confirmed yesterday that she will be replacing the previously announced Stephanie Stiles, who has had to withdraw due to scheduling conflicts. No word on what could have come up for Stiles, but uh, I will just note that she is currently in Los Angeles, according to her Instagram. Um, but I'm really excited to see York on stage. She was originally cast as Campbell in the out-of-town tryout of Bring It On The Musical in Atlanta, which I saw twice, but was injured during rehearsals and never got to go on for the role. Her understudy actually took over the part and then... Uh, 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 Taylor Louderman was cast in the pre-Broadway tour going into New York. So I'm very glad um, that there are no basket tosses or round-offs or anything in Grand Hotel that could prevent York from doing the role. The Encore stage concert is scheduled to run from March 21st through 25th, and she will appear opposite James Snyder, Brandon Uranowitz, Irina Dvornovenko, uh, and more. So uh, really, really excited to this. Obviously, Apparently, it doesn't look like I'm going to get Rob McClure because he's doing something rotten on tour. But, you know, one out of two ain't bad for those predictions, James. Which reminds me, Rachel York is coming back to Broadway. <laughs> Different spelling. No relation. Different <laughs> spelling on that last name. But yes. I know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, the marvelous Mr. Mrs. Maisel to shoot season two premiere in Paris. Perry, yes. James, remember a few weeks ago when we wondered why the shooting of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Amazon's TV show would require Tony Shalhoub to completely depart oh, the company from the band's yes. visit? 
Exactly. Okay. He's just he's he's you know a, a, a major supporting character in the show, but the show's set in New York. It films in New York. Why would he have to leave the band's visit altogether? Well, yesterday we got at least a part of the answer for that, as TV Lines Michael Asialo reports that the show's cast and crew will film the season two premiere on location. In Paris, and that is Paris, France, not Paris, Texas. Um, as always with series creator Amy Sherman Palladino, no details have been released in terms of the storyline. But I suppose I can concede to Mr. Shaloub that commuting from Paris to the Barrymore every night is probably not going to be the easiest thing to do. So I suppose it makes sense for him to leave the show permanently, temporarily, whatever his situation is going to be to go film something overseas, whatever. I guess I have to retract my confusion. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's like finding that, that missing piece of the puzzle and it fits so perfectly in now. And I'm like, why is this yeah. in the script? But, Oh, here it is. Yeah. I figured I owed it to Tony Shalhoub to explain because I was a little verklempt as to why he had to leave the show. So this makes sense. This really give, it gives me a good idea. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should cr- record uh, season three premiere of today on Broadway in Paris. No, oh, we better hurry because uh, yeah, it's, it's getting really up. close to that. Uh, yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> All right, one night only concert of When Pigs Fly <laughs> to benefit the Actress Fund. I mean. I guess this is going to happen maybe when pigs fly. We don't really know. If this actually... <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting because I was just thinking about the uh, the recent cancelization of bacon. <laughs> cancelization of bacon? I must have missed that. Wasn't Kevin Bacon going to be in When Pigs Fly? No. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking. But if you remember, <laughs> uh, a, an off-Broadway revival of the play or musical When Pigs Fly was supposed to play Stage 42 last fall, but was canceled due to the shortfall in the show's investment. Well, yesterday, the uh, cast members and creative team uh, have announced that they will reunite on Monday, April 9th, to do a benefit concert for the Actors Fund. The benefit will feature the originally announced cast for that Stage 42 revival. Jordan uh, Anquist, Taylor Crusor, Jacob Huffman, Brian Charles Rooney, and Frank Viveros. Mark Waldrop will direct, and choreography will be by Dennis Jones. And they will, of course, which was a big part of their marketing back in the fall, feature the costumes of Bob Mackey. Uh, the event will take place at the Gerald Lynch Theater at John Jay College on 59th Street. I'm knocking on wood that this actually happens. I'd hate to get people's hopes up and then have them cancel it. So, hmm. All right. So uh, when that runs rolls around, maybe that will be in the recommendation section. But what's in our recommendation section today? All right. I have three things, two videos and an article. The first two videos are cool. Uh, the third uh, article will probably make you tear up a little bit, and but mostly in a good way. Um, the first one is, is there was a trailer released for the upcoming big screen adaptation of Anton Chekhov's The Seagull. As we've discussed before, the film is directed by Tony winner Michael Mayer, and it was adapted for the screen by Tony winner Stephen Karam. The Number of Broadway stars, including in this film, Arnett Benning, Saoirse Ronan, Corey Stoll, Elizabeth Moss, Brian Dennehy, Mare Winningham, and more. Um, I have to be honest with you, James, I've never seen and or read The Seagull. So when I saw this um, trailer, I was a little surprised by the tone of it. The tone was a little more happy and 
jovial than I was anticipating. I just always assumed that it was a very tragic thing. Maybe it's just because that's my, you know, kind of take on Chekhov from Three Sisters and stuff like that. But is the seagull normally fairly lighthearted? Because that's how the trailer reads. Yeah. <laughs> Dark comedy? I don't know. <laughs> I Maybe. Would it could be. Yeah. I mean, it's but, Russian. Any comedy is probably dark comedy. Mm, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so take a watch. Uh, let me know if I'm off. And like I said, I don't know the seagull well, so I'm just basing it off of my completely uninformed opinion of this before seeing it. But anyway, the other video is a really cool behind the scenes video um, with the creative team and a couple of cast members, apparently, of King Kong, the musical that will be coming to the Broadway theater on November 8th of this year. I, you know, I, I continue to say... I have no idea what this story is going to be. I have no idea what this music is going to be, but I will probably go if I'm in town um, after it starts previews in November, just because that damn ape is uh, it's really impressive. And what's cool about this video, James, is that you see a lot of footage of what looks like rehearsals. So you see the giant, I don't want to call it puppet or whatever it is, but I guess it's a puppet with lights on and not just like stage lights, which kind of are designed to obscure all the, all the moving parts that make it work, but just like stage lights, like the overhead work lights. So you really get to see how this thing works. And it's really, really fascinating. As we've talked about before, King Kong, the musical was written by Jack Thorne with a score by Marius DeVries and songs by Eddie Perfect. It's going to be directed by Drew. What's that? This week. What about this week? Th those are the writers this week. They've gone through oh. a lot of writers. <laughs> I think they're, I think, I don't think they're going to stick with these. They're going to stick with these guys. I don't think Martian Norman or, or <laughs> JRB is coming back at any time soon, but Drew McOney is going to be the director. And I, I'm excited. I, I know that I'm probably going to be completely disappointed from a dramatic and potentially musical perspective, but I really feel like just what we see from this, puppet as we've heard throughout this entire process james that the ape itself might make it all worthwhile special tony maybe i if if this is as good <laughs> as it looks like in the video you might be joking but i it very well could happen all right and there is a new york times profile on the sisterhood of the frozen stars yeah, James, this is a, a really well done article and a really uh, touching article from Michael Paulson over at the New York Times. And it, of course, focuses on uh, our friend Patty Murin and her frozen sister, Casey Levy, um, and talks about how, one, they are very different people. Uh, Patty's very outgoing and very boisterous and open and, and very transparent in a lot of her things. Casey Levy is the complete adverse of that. Doesn't really do social media. She's very kind of focused on, you know, being private and, and her, her own stuff. But it, it talks early on about how the, the different process that both of them went through to get to this point, to be opening the musical on Broadway. Patty, as we've known for years now has been a part since the very beginning. However, after the kind of the last run of of workshops before Casey was eventually cast, she decided not to continue with the show because she'd found out that she was pregnant. Um, and then, unfortunately, they discovered that the the baby did not have a heartbeat and that the pregnancy was ended. And she really wasn't going to go on with the project uh, project because she wanted to get pregnant again with her husband, Colin Donnell. Um, and then Disney kept calling and said, we want you to come in. We, we think we have somebody for Elsa. We want you to read with her. And it ended up being Casey Levy. 
And as they kind of talked, even before they really sang together, I believe Casey shared that she'd been through something very similar. And and that was kind of an instant bond. They talk about the bond and the sisterhood that they've formed. They didn't really know each other all that well, but they live across the street from each other now. And it's a a really nice story. And I got to tell you, I, you know, it's been interesting to watch the reaction to Frozen um, kind of ebb and flow throughout this process, James, because I think a lot of the theater intelligentsia looked down on this show from the very beginning because it's a Disney thing. It's, you know, it's just, a, you know, a theme park, you know, money grab. And the stuff from Denver wasn't completely well received. But I, I feel like that momentum is turning in. And part of that is probably this article. Uh, but I feel like the momentum is turning. And well, I don't know that this is going to upset any, you know, bands visit potential Tony Awards. But I, I really feel like this is actually going to be a, a bigger artistic and creative success than than people anticipated, especially those in our insular theater community. I think that you're right, uh, as I think. I'm not sure. I, I, it's all a big blur whether we talk on the podcast or we're right. talking okay. off the podcast. Did we talk about how uh, a lot of our friends are giving us good reviews on this, similar to what happened with SpongeBob, that uh, we expected bad things out of SpongeBob, and then it came out and it was we were pleasantly yeah. surprised about it? Yeah, I've had a couple friends who have paid for tickets, no, nobody who's, mm-hmm. you know, comps talking about it out of school but um including my broadway world colleague alan henry who went to the first preview and literally i was getting texts at intermission just absolutely raving um not only about the show but about patty as well Um, i you know i think it'll be interesting to watch how they position both patty and casey in the tony and other awards categories because neither of them are above the title which means they're going to default into the featured categories but I don't know if Disney's going to want that. And then do you put Patty in as the lead because Anna has more stage time and it really is more of her story? Or do you put Elsa and Casey in the lead category because she's always been the kind of central point of Frozen? So it'll be interesting to see how they play with that. But uh, from every person that I've seen who's or I've talked to that's seen it, they said Patty Muran is giving a career defining performance and that she should be very well received by the critics and the awards coming up this spring. So unrelated to this New York Times profile on Patty and Casey, uh, did you speak to Patty today? Um, not today. I, I talked to her last week a little bit. Why? Did I miss something? Is she do? Are you talking about The Bachelor? The Bachelor. Oh, oh yeah, my goodness. She must have been. I can't even imagine <laughs> yeah, she uh, from from what she said online, uh, it does not appear that well anybody her or anybody uh, really took the way that that went down well. So yeah, yeah. so uh, for people who don't watch The Bachelor, and I don't watch The Bachelor, but uh, I, but it was just all over the news today, and it was a, kind of a snow day, so we were in the house watching a lot of news. But um, ABC's The Bachelor during some sort of climactic point. The guy dumped the girl and went back to his ex-girlfriend and they staged it live. Well, they told her live and it was rather cruel and mean and uh, maybe maybe we should just stop The Bachelor. I I should. Whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Maybe we could stop The Bachelor and just bring back Birdie. No. 
No. No. Or no Amy Warbucks either. <laughs> well, uh, let's move on to the theater throwback section. Uh, Daniela is on spring break, isn't she? She is. She's in New York City. She's on. She's in New York uh, doing spring break, and so she sent along her theater throwback segment. So let's take a listen to it right now. Hey, everyone. This is Daniela Parcel, and I'm here with this week's theater throwback. Today, we are going back to March 5th, 1981. This was the opening night of Bring Back Birdie, the musical sequel to Bye Bye Birdie that would close just two days later. To set the stage, we need to go back even further to 1960, when Bye Bye Birdie opened at the Martin Beck Theatre. With a book by Michael Stewart, music by Charles Strauss, and lyrics by Lee Adams, the musical was a huge hit, running for 607 performances and winning the Tony for Best Musical. At the end of Bye Bye Birdie, spoiler alert, we see Albert, a music publisher, and Rose, his girlfriend-slash-secretary, marry and leave show business as their star client, Conrad Birdie, is drafted. It was the perfect ending to a lovely musical, but the writers weren't quite done with their story. About 20 years after Bye Bye Birdie opened, Stuart, Strauss, and Adams brought a sequel, Bring Back Birdie, to the same theater, the Martin Beck. The show picks up about 20 years after Bye Bye Birdie left off. Albert and Rose are still married, Conrad is the mayor of some town called Bent River Junction, Arizona, and Albert has been offered $20,000 to find Conrad and get him to perform on the Grammys. The story is further complicated by some subplots involving cults, fraudulent funerals, affairs, and secret identities. With the success of Bye Bye Birdie, the prominence of this writing team, and the fact that Cheetah Rivera would be appearing again in the role of Rose that she created, this musical should have been at least somewhat successful. Spoiler alert again, it wasn't. Troubles arose early on for Bring Back Birdie. The musical opened cold on Broadway. Instead of an out-of-town tryout, it had a long, chaotic preview period. Bring Back Birdie was originally scheduled to open on February 19th, but that had to be pushed back twice. The first instance was to give the cast more time to rehearse and perform, and the second was because of changes being introduced into the production. When it finally opened on March 5th, it was clear that the sequel would not even come close to reaching the success or the acclaim of Bye Bye Birdie. Frank Rich called the musical depressing right up until the curtain call, woefully tired, and as if everyone involved had abandoned hope. And the cast seemed to feel the same way. Apparently, at one of the few performances, Donald O'Connor, who starred as Albert, forgot the words to a song. He asked some band members for help, then exclaimed in front of the entire audience, you sing it, I hated this song anyway. Needless to say, Bring Back Birdie did not last long. After just four regular performances, it closed on March 7th, 1981. Charles Strauss didn't seem to learn from his mistake either. Nine years later, he penned a sequel to Annie, which shuddered before even making it to New York. Bring Back Birdie has reappeared here and there. Encore staged it back in 2004, and just last year in November, 54 Below presented a concert production of the musical. That is all for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Daniela Parcell. You can find me on Twitter at Daniela Parcell and on Instagram at Daniela Parcell well. And I'll be back next week for another theater throwback. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? 
All right. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at PWW Matt and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And my name is James Murdo from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending Send me a Thursday with us, everybody in New York. Uh, stay warm, stay dry. It's kind of miserable out there. And uh, Matt and I will come back and wrap up the week tomorrow. Tomorrow.